laughs, right? Hello and welcome to the Free Midfield Podcast, the podcast where three friends read the drinking professional footballers dashed away as children when one at birth was confined to a wheelchair and the other two discovered food have their say on the Premier League. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. First time with visuals, first time recording. I think we put up, I think last time I did like a YouTube thing, I, I, I did the, the, the sound and uh, the 3am 3, 3 old logo, you know, the one that was really, really oh, bad. Yeah. <laughs> that, was yeah. one, yeah. that was horrible. But we start things off with a bang. Liverpool are champions. So we thought it would bring in an old, old Liverpool fan. I say you're an old Liverpool fan. No, you've got a Liverpool based podcast. So no, no, you nah, I, I, I hate super fan. Let's, let's, let's get that out the way first and foremost because I don't know what, what qualifies a super fan or ultra fan or anything like that. So, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I go to almost all the home games I'm lucky enough to have a season ticket but there's loads of people who'd love to have a season ticket at Liverpool who either can't get one because the tickets are locked in or where you live or all this sort of stuff and I get to about 10 away games a season and yeah I do the podcast but the other thing about Superfan is it makes it sound like you've got nothing else going on in your life <laughs> you know what I mean every single time like well no I've got a varied range of interests I mean I'm, I'm, I'm under real pressure if you ask me for one of them but let's just go with that you know I've got a, I've got a cornucopia of interests there's more to me than just football so there's no, there's no Liverpool, there's no room with a Liverpool memorabilia. Just, just nothing. The there, re- no? there really isn't. No, I can promise that. There's no shrine in the corner to Jordan <laughs> Henderson or anything like that. I promise. <laughs> we are joined, uh, of course, by uh, one, the ever-present coach Tojo. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. It's been a long time coming doing visuals. Um, mm. I think the last time when we did a podcast with Deloid Guna, he told us, you know what. Jump on visuals because you guys would, you know, you would do it would work well for you guys and all that. And it's been a minute, and now we've just like, yeah, you know, it's time. So I'm happy that we're here. I'm happy that we're doing our usual pods week in, week out. So yeah, let's get this popping. And of course, Liverpool champions. That doesn't particularly make me happy, but we've got to do this. Haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> and the other voice is that of Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Rap. Welcome, sir. That's an absolute pleasure as ever. Uh, I guess we'll. We'll start there. Thirty years waiting. You think you were, before you were telling me you're thirty nine. So, you were you you were there the last time that they won a championship. How's how's yeah. feel, how's it feeling now? It's terrific, to be honest with you. I think what's really important, what I've not liked, is the idea of 30 years of hurt. Firstly, that's an mm. England reference. Uh, but secondly, I've had a lovely time. Uh, let's, be, let's be quite clear. You know, I've seen Liverpool in that period. They've won every other trophy you can win. If you want 30 years of hurt, go and have a good long look at E.G. Sunderland, Scunthorpe, Doncaster. There are places who've had a pretty miserable 30 years. Uh, we have not had a miserable 30 years. And I think that's a really important sort of thing because supporting a football team isn't a custodial sentence. But it does feel, you know, terrific to be champions. It really does. Um, it's something that we've waited for for so long. And it's it's in part because of, you know, Liverpool had won up to 1990. They'd won 18 league titles. Uh, since approximately 1964, I think they'd won 13 league titles from 1964 to 1990. And Paisley wins six of nine between 1976 and, and 1984, 83. Uh, in, you know, he has nine seasons and he wins six league titles. It's an astonishing record. And so it always felt like it's a thing that Liverpool do. Um, so to have not done it for 30 years, to have been going the game, to have been surrounded by that history and that sort of weight and not have had it and to have come close on the occasions where we had was just obviously, you know, you wanted to get the thing that other people had, had had. And now to finally have it is, it is genuinely tremendous. I am into it big time. Um, you know, long may it continue. I would like more of this. Uh, we've got a year of it to enjoy. Uh, <laughs> but I would like it to, I'd like it to perpetuate beyond that point. 
And um, I know a lot of rival fans try to do the whole, you know, because you, you, you can't be in the stadium with Liverpool uh, yeah. players and all that to separate the... Does it take anything away, even, big, even tiny, away from no, like, the joy? No, not, not at this stage. And the reason why is we actually haven't played since we won it and we won it when we weren't playing anyway. So I wouldn't have been at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> If you see what I mean, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be at Stamford Bridge, so it would have been. You know, it would have been the same scenes with the players all grouped together, uh, and us being able to or having to enjoy it, sort of in inverted commas, remotely. Now that might be different when they come to lift it at Anfield. It will be a shame that Henderson lifts it in an empty stadium. To be quite honest with you, that will genuinely be a shame, um, and I think that that's where you'll feel a bit like. Oh, but ultimately, I was at Leicester away when they won four 0 um, you know, I was at United at home when they won 2 0 with the lead teller goal, and everyone sang, We're going to win the league, and everyone meant it. You know, you win the league over a period of time. We won, you know, part of how we win the league this season is what we do last season. Last season, I think, adds on to this and adds on to the burden City come up against. You win the league over a period. And listen, I've had enough moments in grounds where Liverpool have won games, and I've thought that they're going to go on and win the league. That, you know, I've, I know what that feels like. There's a friend, there's a friend of our show called John Cook who was at, um, at Norwich City on Boxing Day in 13-14. Uh, so not on Boxing Day, on, on Easter Sunday 13-14. And Liverpool beat uh, Norwich 3-2, having just beaten Manchester City 3-2. And it was the week before uh, the Chelsea game. And uh, he walked out to that ground, also he convinced me we were champions. And actually, you know, in, in, in dispatches afterwards, he says, well, I've seen Liverpool win the league. They might not have won it, but I know what that feels like. I did it that day. <laughs> and and I always thought there was, a, there, was a, there was a fair amount of wisdom in that, in that. It's things are what it feels like. I was I was at Southampton away last season when Salah runs through the middle of the pitch uh, at one one and runs you know runs runs fifty yards from the Henderson headed pass, carries it and from the edge of the area puts it in the in the in the, in the corner and I was right in line with it as it left his foot and trust me there and then I thought we're winning this league and we didn't but that's what it felt like it was bedlam that day at Southampton it's one of the best away grounds I've ever been in one of the best atmospheres I've ever known and one of the biggest wins I've ever known but ultimately we didn't win the league uh, off the back of it so. We've had those moments, if you know what I mean. Those have existed. Um, they've existed in, in potential and not in actuality. It will be a shame not to be there when he lifts it. But for me, the thing I'm looking forward to is going to ground after ground next season with a bit of luck if we can get back into grounds and singing about how we won the league. Mm. <laughs> um, let's see. What, so you're saying that uh, it's not been a 30-year period of, of misery as everybody no. likes to try and pile on. So what was, what was different about this side that, allowed him to get over that that hurdle this there's a there's a really ridiculous thing here and that it's ridiculous for all football but they just sort of decided to win every game <laughs> and that sounds mad like what the same what the other ones never but in the, you know there's a cliche in football that it's you know towards the end of the season someone will say it's six cup finals and everyone will say yeah it's six cup finals daniel farker's doing it at the minute about norwich it's you know they're all cup you're saying we had nine cup finals and now we're saying we've got seven they've lost the first two we've got seven Liverpool basically treated it like, and have treated it like it's 38 cup finals. And they took what they had to do last season when they were going toe-to-toe with Manchester City and just basically all got together in the summer and said, so should we just continue to do that? Should we just keep doing that? And I think, I think, you can talk, I think Liverpool will break the points record. But I don't think that automatically means Liverpool are the best Premier League side ever or, or even first division side ever. Um, and And... That sounds like I'm talking Liverpool down. I'm not. But I think one of the things that teams do is they do what they need to do to attain their goals. And basically, Liverpool decided before a ball was kicked this season, the only way they were going to be certain they could attain their goals was to get 114 points. And mm. so they worked towards getting 114 points. Manchester City, when Manchester City, you know, if you come second with 97 points, then you've got two options. You either say, well, we're never going to do this, or you say, right, how do we get to 106? 
because we might need 106. So what's the 106 plan? And then you go away and you institute the 106 plan. And I think that's, you know, I think that's what they've done, and that's what's different. I think there's lots of other, there's lots of little tactical things. There's the use of the fullbacks. There's the intensity in centre midfield. There's the the ability to see games out once they're won in a in a low gear, which has saved energy moving forward. And I think that's something this side learned a lot of in the last eighteen months. But the main thing that they've done off the back of what they had to do to go toe to toe with Manchester City last season was to say, right, whatever that is, let's bottle it and let's continue it, and let's do it, and keep doing it. And that's, you know, how long you can keep that up for once you've attained the aim, which is to win the league, is is going to be a question that, that those players and that manager have to answer. But that's what they've done. And as I say, it can seem like it's reductive to the point of nothing, what they just decided to win every game. But the answer is, yeah, they sort of just did. And that's, you know, and you look at the way they respond to adversity late in games, the way they respond to the idea that every game lasts for 94 minutes. You know, every, every single aspect of that is, no, we are building ourselves up here. To, if we need to get, if, if, if we get 108 points and they get 106, then we needed to get 108 points. And in the end, we haven't needed that, you know, City have, have struggled for a variety of different reasons. But Liverpool, and I think the other thing, I'm, I'm talking a lot for a long time here, I'm sorry, but I think the other thing is, like when we beat City at home, um, if future Neil had visited drunk but present Neil in November and said City win the next 19 games, you know, they just win the next 19 games. Yeah. They win every all, every single one of them. I wouldn't have gone, future Neil, you're a liar. You're making it up. As I said, yeah, of course they do. They're brilliant. And I think so even at every point during the season when you can feel like, well, we're now 11 points clear and what are you going to do about it? You're able to say, well, they won 19 consecutive games in the past, you know, they're that good. So we've got to keep winning because if you give them an inch, they're that good, they will come back at you. So I think that's what's really driven this Liverpool side. At no point was it done until it was done. Right, right. You think uh, that's going to become a new norm now? I mean, it seems illogical that teams will go, keep going to the hundred, having to get 100 points to win the league title, but both City and Liverpool don't seem like they're going to be... I mean, City this year haven't exactly been great, but you can see them going that far again. I think, I think, that's, a, I think that's almost weirdly a Guardiola question more than it's a Klopp question. So I think it's... I think, it's, uh, I think that if Guardiola is shaping up to do it again... You know, there's a forgotten thing about Klopp, which is that he was in the Bundesliga at the same time as Guardiola. So everyone presumes the big rivalry, when when Guardiola comes to English football, everyone says the big rivalry will be Mourinho and Guardiola, both at the Manchester... Well, I'm not quite sure where Mourinho was, but it'd be Mourinho and Guardiola, because Mourinho had lived at Barcelona, uh, with, uh, with uh, Madrid with, 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 with Guardiola at Barcelona. But actually, if you look at the first season, Guardiola comes into Bayern Munich. They are champions when he arrives. Yeah. The following season, they beat Dortmund's, uh, they beat Dortmund's second place Jurgen Klopp managed team by about by genuinely about twenty two points in a thirty four game season. So I think the thing Klopp knows is if I'm going against this fella, I've got to be able to get a hundred points. I think if you look at loads of Klopp's decisions, so for instance, he hangs on to buy Virgil Van Dijk, he doesn't compromise. Mm-hmm. And I think I wondered if he might have compromised if he hadn't have known he was going up against a Pep Guardiola. Manchester City so it's a Manchester City with all the money all the really good players and now there's Guardiola there and I think that Klopp knows because of his experience in Germany the only way I beat this fella is by being able to get an unbelievable number of points so I think it's as much defined by Guardiola as it is by by Klopp by Liverpool and how long Guardiola stays at City I think you can have a little look Chelsea get 93 uh, City then uh, get 100 and get 98 I do th- like I think you, you you might not need to get 95 points to win the league in the next each of the next five seasons but there'll need to be a point in the season where you look like you can. 
So you, yeah. you get to December and you're on course for 101 points. But what happens is that breaks everyone's spirit and then it becomes a little bit more normal. And I think that's the way these league seasons are going to go now where you've got, you might not need to get an absolutely ridiculous points total, but there might need to be a point when suddenly you're nine points clear of everyone else. They begin to give up, concentrate on Europe, think about the Cups, Champions League qualification. But to get to that point, you might actually need to be, you know, played 19, won 16, drawn two, lost one. And that might be the point where you break everyone and then you can have a slightly normal second, more normal second half of the season, end up getting 92 points and everyone will say, oh, they were a bit vulnerable there. But then you might need to start back at that pace again. Um, so we've, now we're talking about Jurgen Klopp. Um, since he's come to your club, um, the smile on your face tells me everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so uh, first season um, was sort of a half season by going to the Europa League final. Mm-hmm. Uh, season after Champions League final, uh, lost Madrid. Next year, won the Champions League final against Tottenham, and now you are Premier League champions. So, when was the moment? Um, I'll say maybe in in this whole tenure. When did you start thinking this guy is going to bring us a title? Because I remember in the press conference he said within four or five years he's going to bring four a title. Years, yeah. yeah. So, when was the moment as, that for you as a fan of the club and watching his management and the way he was changing the club and the, the squads and what was the moment you thought to yourself, yeah, he's bringing a Premier League title straight to the Anfield? I think that the, the idea of the league title, the first time I thought this team is winning a league um, was Wolves away in 2018. So we went to Wolves in December of 2018. Um, really good side, Wolves. They're a really good barometer for where you are as a football club. And we just beat them 2-0. And it was pouring down. You know, there's loads of excuses. There was loads of reasons why Liverpool could have lost the game or drawn the game or looked vulnerable even. And they went toe-to-toe with Wolves. And that was the first time, you know, we've been to a European, you know, got to a European Cup final and, you know, before then. But that was the first time I thought this team is just going to win a Premier League. It is just going to. It's not going to stop until it does. Um, Because, again, that was a really good example. You know, there were so many hiding places for Liverpool that night. Everyone struggles at Molyneux. And Liverpool just were not to be stopped. Um, Everybody looked terrific. They all looked you know, Wolves are a big team, they're a physical team, uh, they're quick, uh, they're imposing, they let you know you're playing on their turf, and that day Liverpool, they didn't just swat them aside, they had to work to do it, but they did work, and they outworked Wolves, they were bigger than Wolves, stronger than Wolves, and better, and I just remember coming out to that ground that day thinking, these are winning one, I I did, I thought it would be last season, uh, you know, I really did, I came out to that ground last season thinking, this is it, it's, it this is, this is going to happen. In terms of the idea that the manager is going to bring major honours, I think, I mean, I think it's there early that he was going to bring major honours of some description. The the critical game in a load of senses, I think, the last... It's, and it's, it's a relatively innocuous one in the grand scheme of things, but the crit- critical game of the last sort of three, four years of English football is at Anfield in the January of 2018, uh, when it's, it finishes uh, Liverpool 4, Manchester City 3. And right. there and then, in every single way, is where everything, a lot of what Klopp wants and has wanted comes together. The atmosphere was was was, you know, there's... It's difficult at times talking to other team supporters about Anfield's atmosphere because everyone's desperate to tell you that when they went, it wasn't very good. Or that it came through on this day. And, <laughs> and I, understand, <laughs> I understand I understand that. I genuinely understand that I, I, because I've been to Anfield. You know, I've, I, the, the mythology around football clubs, all football clubs, is something always to keep your eye out for. But I've been to Anfield on a lot of occasions where you'd have come away and said the crowd wasn't great today. Genuinely. But the thing about the Anfield crowd, without any sort of, without, without me needlessly doing, doing pomp or circumstance, is when it needs to be there, it's there. 
and it never lets you down. And you can try and say that about a lot of football crowds, but then within there, then I think is where you get the, the specific magic of football on Merseyside, not just for Liverpool. I think when Goodison works, it does this as well. It's not about the songs. It's not about the romantic quasi-poetry of these weirdos from the northwest of England. It's about the <laughs> fact that suddenly you've got 50,000 loons screaming at the top of their voice. And that's what happens to Manchester City. There's no song when we go from 1-1 to 4-1 straight after half-time. What happens is it's an absolute cauldron of noise and you can see Kyle Walker kicks it out to touch twice for throws and keeps looking at Guardiola like, what am I meant to do here? This is unreal. And Guardiola's going, I don't know. And Guardiola subsequently says, you know, when Anfield's up, it's it's really difficult to play in. And, and Liverpool, the crowd, the players, the front three, they just roll City for 15 minutes. For 15 minutes, City City are just overwhelmed. And at that point, that season, they were unbeaten. They'd won almost every game. It was it was them in their absolute pomp. And they come to Anfield and they get, for 15, 20 minutes, they don't just get outplayed. They get dismantled by the crowd, by the Liverpool team, by the intensity. And I think that's the moment when you sort of realise with Klopp. And we go on that season. We beat City home and away in the Champions League. Uh, we beat... Um, we the semi-final against Roma, Liverpool go 5-0 up in the first leg of a Champions League semi-final. Again, the crowd's unbelievable. It's the like of which you've never seen in a Champions League semi-final, what Liverpool do to Roma. They absolutely pummel them uh, for about 45 minutes and score five goals. And then almost like Liverpool look at each other like, what do we do now? And then they concede soft two because it's a bit like, well, we've, we've lost our heads really. It was so exciting. Uh, but what they do to the city in that game is the one where I just I remember coming out of that ground that day thinking we, we can beat anyone and we will win one of the big two with this manager we'll win either the Champions League or the title and in the end we, we've ended up with both of them um, and um, there's always been this discussion about uh, Klopp's type of football um, one thing I like about I say I like I'm a United fan I don't particularly like it but it's what it is um, but no if I'm honest what he's done really well is um, he's made your club Almost like the the threat you have from every part of the pitch mm. to score goals is insane. So you've obviously got the front three. Everyone talks about the front three, but then you've got Trent and, and um Trent and Andrew Robertson now able to create from wide. Trent is great at set pieces. Wijnaldum is very good at arriving late into the box and finding some goals. Uh, Henderson's popped up with a few important goals. Fabinho from long range. So you just got a whole load. And even Origi, everyone wrote him off. And then out of nowhere, he becomes Mr. Important Goals out of nowhere, especially in Europe. Um, where, there, there was a change in sort of like the sort of football that you played from like the sort of, I don't know, heavy metal football mm. to the sort of more structured, controlled game where you just dominate and um, control teams. Uh, where was the change in that? Where did you realise he started to think, okay, this is what we need to do to get a title? Because in Europe, you already dominated. You got to two finals in two years. I think I think what he what I th- I think what he work, he works that out around 2018. So we get to the second half of 2018, so 17, 18, we make the European final. But what's happening is more and more sides are trying to find ways to make themselves press resistant to Liverpool. Good sides are trying to find. There's a we go to Old Trafford um, in February of 2018, and Rashford gets a brace. I think we I think Milner yeah. scores a penalty. We lose the game two one. And United were fundamentally a bit rubbish, but simultaneously Liverpool couldn't really land a land a blow because it was a well set up Mourinho United performance. Ashley Young does a really nice job on Mo Salah, but more than that, United just made themselves press resistant. You can't press us if we haven't got the ball. And United were happy to almost kick it for touch. And this is going to Old Trafford to play the side that we're going to finish second that season, Manchester United. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll play on your, what we view as your weaknesses rather than the other way around. 
So I think that game's one that you can sort of have an eye on. I think Alexander Arnold that day has a bit of a has a bit of a torrid time with Rashford as well, and I think that's something that Alexander Arnold's improved on massively um, as well. That doesn't happen too many more. Zaha and uh, and Rashford give him a, give him a tough t- tough game in pretty close succession around that period. But from there, I think in the summer of of eighteen nineteen, uh, building into that. There's an awareness, right? We have got to do things a little bit differently because what's going to happen is teams are not going to let us play the way in which we like to play. They're not going to let us, you know, they're not going to they're not going to make it easy for us. So we've got to do it a bit differently. And I think you see it from there. I think also this is the brilliance of Salah. Salah gets 44 goals, and while Liverpool, there's some people in general who will say, well, he's not matched that again. I think it's because entire football teams have completely changed their approach to dealing with Liverpool to look after Mo Salah, and that's why he's so important. When we played the Merseyside derby in the first game back after lockdown. Not having Salah was a massive issue for Liverpool because what he does is he's able to, whatever you want to do, he's able to counter it. But also he just takes men. He's so good that he, he, he sucks the, the opposition's resource almost. You know, where, where, where do we, well, we need to look after Salah to suddenly now Manny and Firmino or Wijnaldum or the fullbacks have got more room. If Salah isn't there, it's just easier to be able to pin that round. And as I say, and the reason why Salah's different is he gives you something of everything. So if he's, you know, he can go along and stretch the pitch and make the pitch enormous so you've got to defend deep because he's so quick, so you can't compress play. All right, Sam, we'll deal with that. But then he can come close, he can do feet, he can hold the ball up brilliantly. He's also, frankly, he's a natural goal scorer. He wants to get between the sticks and he wants to sniff any any opportunities there that are out. He is, you know, he's got genuine qualities within the Liverpool centre, Russia or Fowler, in a global football centre, Nisto Roy, Lewandowski. He wants to play between the sticks, Salah. He wants to arrive there, start here, come there. And that's that's his game. So you've got to worry about that as well. And all the things that you need to worry about, Salah gets, so he's not in none of these areas. And I think this is a, a, a thing that sort of gets missed with Salah. Um in none of these sorts of areas of what you want from an attacking midfielder, a winger, or a centre-forward, in nothing is he 10 out of 10, but in everything he's 9. So that means that he can adapt his game as the game wears on, and he can find some sort of... So whatever you've planned for, he can begin to unwind. Or you can be really good against him. You can put three men against him, but suddenly now Firmino's got the, the room of the pitch. Suddenly now who's looking after the fullbacks? And I think that that's what... What happens in the summer of 18 is everybody now has got a year's worth of data. All the analysts, and we know all the top clubs have got analysts, unbelievable numbers of them, are all going right to the coaches. You need a Mo Salah plan. And then they enact the Mo Salah plan and Liverpool say, well, you've got a Mo Salah plan. Best of luck to you. He's still going to get 20 league goals. Oh, and by the way, you need a Sadio Mane plan because he's now going to get 20 league goals as well. And and that, I think, is what's, that, that, that's what's changed. And that's what Salah's almost done. And that's why I think to talk about him as having disappointed since he got the 44-goal season is, is sort of inaccurate. He's, he, he really does sort of define this Liverpool side going forward. What is, is your best player? Is he your best player? He's our best attacker. I think our best player is Van Dijk. Um, okay. I think, I think like, again, and this is the other thing, I think Van Dijk, in terms of being a defender for an, for an elite team, a centre-back for an elite team in the Premier League, so there's a period of time where you could have an argument over who the best centre-half in the world is. But the best centre-half for peak era, Messi-dominated Barcelona, the best one in the world was PK. He was the best one. Um, because of the nature of the way La Liga tends to play, because of the nature of the opposition, and because of the way the game's going to likely to break for Barcelona. He was simply the best one they could have. Um, in the Premier League, you need someone, and it doesn't happen this season when we go to Watford, but you need someone, for instance, who can deal with Troy Deeney. You need someone who can deal with, and you're not going to get this all the time. It's not as physical as it used to be. But Van Dijk, as an elite centre half, with 
both his physical attributes and his ability to dominate physically and all the, the, the talent, the brain, because right? he's such a clever player that he's got all of that leads to him being... I don't just think Van Dijk is the best centre-back in the world. I think he's the best centre-back in the world by a distance. And I think he's certainly the best centre-back in the world from the lead side. I think there's now a bigger gulf between Van Dijk and whoever's number two in that list than Messi and whoever's number two in that list. Now, that wasn't always the case because Messi's a generate, just a defining footballer. But right now, in a football sense, I, I believe that to be there. I think that more than any other player, and the one that could actually be closest to him could be our goalkeeper, but the one more than any other player in the world who, for me, isn't just the best player for Liverpool or the best player in the Premier League. I think Van Dijk isn't just the best player in the world in his position, but he's the best player in the world in his position by a greater extent than anybody else. And anyone else who gets, like, for instance, a lot of people like Koulibaly, I think Koulibaly's fine. I think he's a good centre-half. I think he could be really good whenever I've seen him. I've been mildly impressed by him. He's not fit to lace Van Dijk's boots. He just isn't. And that's not a... And I'd like to think I'm not just saying that from a supporter basis. You know what? I'm so happy you said that because I completely... Yeah, agree. I I'm have glad, I'm glad you do. for this. Yeah, no, I'm glad you do. You know, and, and City, the supporters this season have talked about Laporte, and I think Laporte's really good. I've seen really good centre-halves. Laporte is a really good centre-half. He's not in Van Dijk's class, and that's not, not a shortcoming of Laporte or Manchester City. It is to say, the goal from, if, in any list where Van Dijk's number one, whoever you want to put at number two, you may as well go number one, Gap, 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 number 12. Rather than have a number two, you may as well have a number one, loads of blanks and a number 12, because that's the difference with Van Dijk. So Salah's ridiculously important to us. They're all really important. Salah's ridiculously important to us in attacking sense. But Van Dijk is, he is, not, as I say, not just that good, but that good in comparison to all of his peers. What is about Klopp that it seems that he manages to get the very, very best out of his signs? They call that Salah. Nobody expected him to get 40, 44 goals that first season. Yeah. Uh, Marnie's got 20 for the first, a lot of, I think, last season for the first time. Uh, Van Dijk's obviously, as you said before, one the best centre-back in the world. Even players like Oxlade-Chamberlain, who at Arsenal wasn't, was good, but he wasn't at the same level that he was now, now at Liverpool. I think, I, think with, I think Klopp's very good simply at... I think there's a different process to this. I think Liverpool have really identified players brilliantly so there's a lot of people who are involved in that process and Klopp you know Klopp's very emphatically on the record that he didn't want Salah he wanted Julian Brandt um, mm. and he was talked around by by Michael Edwards who's who's one of the key people you know Klopp has final say but he's very open to, to what people are saying I think there's another thing here which is so there's a there's a technical sort of scouting network that's worked really well at Liverpool but I think there's something else where I think Liverpool have, have got really good personalities and they've scouted really good personalities. I think they've scouted people who, who will work well with Klopp and with whom Klopp will want to work well. And I'm not quite sure how that happens in a football sense. I mean, genuinely, do you know? Do people ring up people and say, "No, but what's he really like?" Because I think that might actually literally be the only way you can do it. You know, but what's he like as a person? What are his interests? You know, what you know, there's, there was a they were doing the Zoom calls with um with when they were doing yoga when it was in lockdown and they couldn't even train in small groups. Um, on one of the Zoom calls. Um, Oxlade Chamberlain. There was a couple of there was there was a couple of um, players' birthdays it had been, and Oxlade Chamberlain had learned how to sing "Happy Birthday" to them in their language. So they were from overseas, oh. and he'd learned how to sing Ox, and he, and he just sang "Happy Birthday" to them in their language. Isn't he smart? Isn't he switched on? And doesn't that doesn't that show a certain level of a certain level of but of togetherness and of you know if, if someone did that to me, I think you know because that takes a bit of time. It won't take him ages, but that's a thoughtfulness. 
And I, I think that what Liverpool have done really well when they've recruited is they haven't just looked at sort of profiles of footballers. They've also wondered about who'll fit. Who'll fit as a person. And that's one of the reasons why I think you're able to look at them and feel as though Klopp's done ever so well with them. But what the other thing I think he's done, you remember the hits. So Allison comes in flying. Van Dijk comes in flying. But as I say, these are uh, Salah flying. Mane flying. But these are intuitively phenomenal footballers, I think it's fair to say. And I think there's enough proof of that now. Fabinho, take some time. Oxlade-Chamberlain, take some time. There was, a, there was a game we played in the League Cup at Leicester away, which I think was, if not Oxlade-Chamberlain's first start, it might have been his second or third. And um, Oxlade-Chamberlain was dreadful. And I mean stank the gaff out dreadful. Um, and and it was fine. You know, we, we, all, we all learned from that. We got beat. We went out the League Cup. But, you know, Oxlade-Chamberlain went on to do what he did. He was given time. He was given, you know, it didn't feel like the signing. I don't, because of Klopp's attitude towards transfers, which is he isn't as bothered as a lot of managers are. What it means, though, is that when he's got the players, I don't think he feels as though he's under the pressure to make them successes or failures. Like, he's not staked his entire reputation on, I need this player. He's not gone and had that tantrum with the board or anything like that. So what I think you end up with is those players that have got time. Robertson barely plays in his first three and a half months. But Liverpool, he gets about three starts himself. Um, as I say, there's Oxley chamberlain there. Kite has had injury issues. I think we would have seen a bit more of him by now, if not for those injury issues. But again, he's been given time. And you're able to go through a few of these areas and go, he's really shown patience with these players and they've repaid it. So I think it's, you know, I think almost part of why he's been so good with, I think firstly, he's got his big, hit, his big hits have come off. Mane, Salah, uh, Van Dijk, Allison. There is four big hits and they've all come off brilliantly for him. And that's really good scouting. They're great players. It's all really come together nicely. Well done, Jürgen. Handshakes all round. But what I think what I think has done, has gone really well for him is he's been able to be pretty relaxed about the ones where it's just taken a bit longer. It's going to take you some time to get used to what we do. You're not going to pick it up overnight. We play a bit differently. The expectations on you are this and this. Fabinho was a really good example. He was at Monaco. He was playing at the base of a midfield too. You play for Liverpool in number six. You're the loneliest man in the country, it feels, at times, with a lot of fires to put out. And he got there, and he's, you know, he's fantastic now. So I think that, that, I think that that's what, what Klopp does really well. But as I say, I think they also get the personality type right. They get people who will feel part of what it is Klopp wants. Um, uh, so the, the, I guess now the question is, uh, so I'll give an example. When the United won the uh, Champions League and Premier League double in 2007-08, um, they went on to back. Let me have, let me have, let me enjoy it. Just a <laughs> yeah. little bit, just a little bit. Back in my pomp, you know. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> when I knew all um, the hit records, when all the women <laughs> <to> dance with <laughs> me. It's funny we used to mock Liverpool fans from history. Now we're doing the same thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so he went on to back Berbatov, and even some of the fans in the United uh, camp were like, yeah. you know. Why are you improving the side out? Or why are you buying him? What's he for? You know, for depth. So, I mean, the question is, I mean, obviously, I don't know whether you were that interested in Werner, but regardless, if their interest was there, you've missed out. He's on to mm. Chelsea. Um, if you, looking at the, the squad, if you're looking about first 11 that you know are the best 11 for Liverpool and then the rest of the squad, the bench, is there an area you would improve, maybe depth, or maybe you think there's a spot in the first team where someone can come in and take that spot? Is there? I think, I think firstly, Liverpool have got an issue where they haven't got enough players aged between 21 and 25. 
So this Liverpool okay. side is at its peak. Now, the thing about being at, at your peak is it takes a fair bit of work to get there, and it's not like you rubbish until you get there. And the thing about tapering away from your peak is that it's not as though you just fall off a cliff. Most footballers don't. You go down in very small incremental steps. But it is fair to sort of describe, I think, this Liverpool side as being at its peak, which means right. it will all move off its peak together. And that's a bit of a potentially a bit of a problem. And if you look at 21 to 25, Kite is 25, Minamino's 25, uh, Gomez is 23, and Alexander Arnold's 21. And apart from that, there's no one. There's a really good crop of four or three or four, four or five players under 21. People like Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones. Uh, there's there's footballers, uh, Nico Williams, knocking round of that age bracket. It were as good as anyone in the country potentially, from, from Liverpool's point of view. But that's not the same because the point is you what you want is a passing of a torch. Footballers who are 24 now in four years' time will be 28. Footballers who are 27 now in four years' time will be 31. And you need this to sort of be a process. And that's an issue that Liverpool need to deal with. Werner, I think, is 24. And in many ways, he would have suited that down to the ground. You know, the idea that you, all you need to do, really, if you recruit pretty well, is add one or two of these footballers between 21 and 25 every, you know, every summer. Uh, one, two in the summer, one in the winter. One fails, you recycle them, you keep moving. But Liverpool now, because of the, 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 the pandemic, because of the crisis, it looks like that might be a little bit tougher. And I think that's what they've got to think about. And I think that's what the priority's got to be. And I, I'd like to see one added who falls into the category of potentially, if not already, but potentially being as good as the current front three. Who's got a trajectory towards being as good as them, who's aged between 21 and 25. I think they need to add one of them. Um, Berbatov's dead interesting because part of why he buys Berbatov is he knows that Ronaldo's going. He knows that Ronaldo's going to Madrid. He asked Ronaldo for one more season. Ronaldo gave it to him and he added Berbatov. I don't think there's... 12 months ago, I thought I was convinced Salah would go this summer, regardless. Convinced Salah would go, um, regardless of what we did. In that, he'd be of a certain age, it'd be the right time, and he'd want us all to grow. I think one of the successes of Liverpool is Liverpool as global brand. So you feel as though Liverpool... I know we get beat by Atletico Madrid, but you feel as though Liverpool is, is as good a place as any if you want to win a Champions League. It's as good a place as any as you want to win a league. Liverpool have now got the Nike connection and Liverpool now are a global brand in a worldwide sense. So you don't need to necessarily go to Real Madrid or Barcelona. And if you're not a player who's got sort of Latin heritage, if you're not Brazilian, South American, Spanish, then really does it make that much difference to you from between Liverpool uh, and, and, and Real Madrid? And also do Real Madrid want to go for a footballer who, who isn't from the Iberian Peninsula and make him the main man in that big way that we've seen Real Madrid do? I mean, there's lots of there's lots of coverage of the fact that, you know, Eto, for instance, never felt as though he was properly respected um, in, in Spanish football because he was African. So there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's literally bodies of evidence around that conversation. So if you're Mane or your salary or Firmino, maybe Firmino might be one, but he's, he's unfashionable, Firmino, in terms of what he does. He's not going to go to Real Madrid and bank 35 goals in where a salary or Mane might. Hmm. So I think that Liverpool might be a little bit resistant to that now, and those players might just think, you know what, I'm, I'm quite happy here. But the flip side of that is that you still need to have young people coming, coming up. And I do think, like, I wouldn't... I think Liverpool this summer would have moved Origi on and got really good money for him because he's potentially a very good player who could play week in, week out for a side and get 15 league goals. And that, that's worth 25, 30 million quid. Mm. But I think that the difficulty now is that no one knows where that market is now with, with everything that's gone on with the pandemic. So 
I do think Liverpool do need to improve. They need to improve 21 to 25. They need to find someone who's going to play when Andy Robertson isn't at left back. It cannot continue to be James Milner. It's just not fair on the old man, for one. Um, <laughs> it's just unreasonable. It's like it should be against his working conditions at this stage that he's meant to do, <laughs> that he's meant to do repeated shuttles up the left wing all game. Um, so, you know, that's not on anymore. Like, there's a health and safety risk. Um, but I think they need, to, they need to solve that. And then I think the main thing to do is to identify really good prospect between 21 and 25 who could play a role now but who you'd have on a trajectory to, to be leading the football team one way or another um, in, in a year 18 months' time I think that's the hole that's at Liverpool and it's the one they need to address If there is a player out there that you think would suit Liverpool who, who would that be? There's the big there's, I mean there's, there's, there's the big three you know I've, I've, I had a joke with with a friend of mine recently that you know you could do a lot worse than any of like if I was Let's. I, I've got a lot of thoughts about the Newcastle takeover, but let's say it happened. And if I was running Newcastle, I would, you know, if suddenly you've got all the money to spend in the world, I'd be trying to buy uh, Kai Havertz, mm-hmm. Ishmael Saar, and uh, Adama Traore and saying, defend against that, lads, all the best. And any, <laughs> any one of those three, I think, if they came into Liverpool, you know, before you'd even look at a Jaden Sancho, I think is, is magnificent. But it might just be that the amount of money Dortmund had wants, they're not going to get from anyone this summer. Mm. If you want 100 million this summer, I think that everyone might just have, just have to sit tight for 12 months. And then you'll, you'll get it, but you're going to have to wait. So... And also Dortmund could win a Champions League. If I was Sancho, I'd think, well, you've got, a, you, you've, got, you've got Haaland there. You've got other good players. They really could if they've got a bit of luck win a Champions League Dortmund. There's worse places to be for 12 more months. Um, but I think Havertz will move to somewhere good. And I'd like Liverpool to be in amongst that. I think Saar is an unbelievable talent um, who just needs better players around him and needs, needs some strong coaching that develops him. And Traore, if we continue in an era of five subs... Adama Traore is oh. going to be such well, an asset well, because yeah. you can't you can't play against him. So you basically every game, if we just continue with five subs, game one he plays sixty, game two he plays thirty, game three he plays sixty, game four he plays thirty, and guess what? He's got nine assists and four goals across the course <laughs> of those games. Because or if you know if if they've managed to keep Traore quiet, it's because they've marked him with eight men, yeah. two of which two of which are hanging off him. Um, <laughs> You know, I think you know. I think he's, I, I think he's he's terrific, and I think he's come on leaps and bounds. But in all seriousness, if I was advising Traore, I'd be half tempted to say stick with these lads for another mm-hmm. year, because Santo really gets him, um, and has done brilliantly with them. Wolves, I think, are really exciting, um, and I mean they're really exciting in a dull way. There's a lot of one nils in there. There's a lot of tight games, but as a project overall, I think they're really exciting. And right now, they look to me all the world like you know them and United. Look that look like the form, the form team to finish in top four. So, mm. you know, I think, or if it becomes top five, I I would be all over that if I was Triori maybe for another year. But that said, if he is going to move anywhere, I think the idea that if Liverpool have their front three, I've got a young prospect who can come on and play as I say half the available minutes. Triori seems almost perfect for that. And if you imagine him in a front three where suddenly you put Salah centre forward, Triori off the right and Mane off the left. If, honestly, could you Speedy be Speedy Gonzalez, man? Yeah. Catch yeah, that is crazy. Catch that is crazy talent. Um, so to go back to uh, whenever Fergie went to, came to United, he said he, his job was he wanted to knock United off, off, oh, off no, the perch. Hey, I'm this. going there. Yeah. He's 19 now. He's not knocking people off the perch anyway. He's 19 yeah. now. Is that in your eye line? Is that something you're worrying about? Or 
it's not something I'm worried about. I think 20 will come next at some point in the next two seasons, and then it'll be a matter of, of sort of getting 21. But I don't know, maybe it's old age, maybe it's the pandemic, maybe... I watched United last night uh, against Brighton. I thought they were good, and I think that there's a lot of potential there, and you can see there's a direction of travel, to be honest with you. A um, couple of really interesting performances, uh, I thought. You know, I thought Martial and Greenwood, Martial less so because he doesn't get the goal, but I thought Mar- Martial looks like he's getting the hang of what he's being asked more and more and the more I see him, and Greenwood's obviously exciting. I've got a bit like... My, my friend Steve Graves said this a few... Uh, a couple of years back, he basically said, you know, it's not like an asteroid's going to hit the earth and that's the end of football and someone's won. Yeah. We've got to accept that, you know, this is, and the two biggest teams, the two teams that define English football in a lot of senses remain Liverpool and Manchester United. And it'll take a lot for it not always to be thus. You know, Liverpool haven't won a league for 30 years. They win one. And before they won it, you could have said that that's the case, Liverpool and Manchester United define English football. You could have said it two years ago after Liverpool get beat by Madrid, you really could because you see the way that... And it, it's something that understandably irritates supporters of other teams. It understandably irritates Manchester City supporters after they produce a team, watch a team that could have been the best ever to play Premier League football. And all everyone talks about is Liverpool losing a final to Madrid. And it's like, well, hang on, we've just got 100 points. We've got Kev De Bruyne, who's absolutely amazing. What, what? You know, 13-14, Liverpool scored over 100 goals and finished second, 84 points. To Manchester City, who win mm. the last six games and also score over 100 goals, but no one talks about them. Everyone talks about Liverpool because every story that matters in this country around football will come through Liverpool or Manchester United or possibly Arsenal. You know, Arsenal right now are almost the definition of mid-table mediocrity, but they'll always be talked about as being in the big six. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's, that's the reality <laughs> of it. And that more so, or weirdly, they'll get more column inches than, than Man City a lot of the time, which is bananas, but it's mm. because they've got something embedded. So my point is... Listen, if, if someone rang me now and said an asteroid is about to hit the earth, we've all got 10 minutes to live, what are you going to try and achieve with your 10 minutes? I might say, can someone get Alex Ferguson on the phone and get him to acknowledge we've won? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's it. 19, 19 league titles, six European Cups. We're all going to be dead in seven minutes, Alex. Just do us a favour and say we won it so I can lie back and enjoy cosmic <laughs> annihilation. Fine. But the reality is that, listen... Never have so, No. Happen. Oh, no, no. I haven't made it with him. Spent, spent my last two minutes arguing with an, arguing with an angry uh, Scotsman. So, you shut up. Um, but, but there is... You know, at some point soon, Liverpool will have more league titles than Manchester United again. And then there'll come a period of time when Manchester United will have more league titles than Liverpool again. And then Liverpool will have more league titles than Manchester United again. In the meantime, European Cups will be ongoing. And maybe it is the pandemic and maybe I'm softening in old age, but sound. Isn't that lovely? Because one of the things I really miss with the pandemic, and, I, and this is why, why I'm coming to do your show, but also any show that comes and asks me at the minute, is because I want people to say this Liverpool team's brilliant, but it's partially oh, brilliant because the Manchester City <laughs> side was brilliant. And yeah. And we're all in this together in a really weird way. Like, there's nothing worse than elite sports where elite sports people aren't tested. So what I said before, Liverpool get this this points total and we'll continue to get it. And we might lose to City on Thursday. And if we do, fair enough. But we get it because Manchester City makers get it. Mm. If Manchester City weren't as good as they were, the Liverpool side I watch wouldn't be as good as it is. That's it. So I'm happy. Let them be that good. Let them be as good as they can be next season and let's see if we beat them. Because the, the tennis matches you remember... Nadal versus Federer. Yeah. You remember Djokovic and Murray. You remember yeah. when the very best go head to head and knock lumps out of each other. And that's where sport transcends, you know, simple tribal loyalties, but becomes something that's special and magical. And, you know, and that's that that can be a Liverpool thing, a Man United thing. And listen, I never want Man United to win as much as a Tom Bowler. 
But the truth of the matter is that. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that if they if they didn't, we'd miss them. Um, and as I say, this might be me post-pandemic. Having had no elite sport for three months, all a bit starry-eyed. Liverpool have just won the league. I'll get off with anyone. But I think what matters is is just that sort of we've got to like we're meant to enjoy this, and we didn't have it to enjoy for ages for what felt like a really painful period of time. And it's still up in the air about when we're next going to be able to go and all of that sort of stuff. But we've really, genuinely, and I'm saying this to anyone, complete. You know, there's no. No needle, which is rare for me. No needle whatsoever. We're meant to enjoy this. This is meant to be the best thing we do with our week. Going to football costs money. Watching football on the television costs money. Going out and enjoying that with your friends, having a few drinks costs money. Uh, you earn money and you choose to use that money through the job. A job that you might not like, you might, but you might not. A job you might not like for this thing. So enjoy it. And as I said at the very start of this, you know, 30 years of hurt, it's been brilliant. But supporting a football team is not, and we all do jokes about it, but it's not a custodial sentence. It should be the best thing you do where you get to speak to your friends, you get to watch fabulous sports people, and you get to go for a big dance afterwards if that's what you want, listen to some great records, go all around town, have a blinding day, wake up the next day a little bit hungover and get to think, yeah, we won yesterday, wasn't that magic. That's the point. And I think that we've got to just sort of focus in on that. So, you know, honestly... Let United come next season. Let's have the best Manchester United imaginable. Let's have the best Manchester City imaginable. Let's have the best Liverpool imaginable. Let's all be in with a shout with five That's games it. to go. Uh, yeah, if you want. Uh, I mean, it's it's, a lot of, it's, it's going to be a lot of work. But, it's going to be. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm upbeat, but I'm not a magician. Um, there's. But we've got to, you know. But if that let let you know let that be the case, everyone's in it five games to go, and then from mm. there, then you know, let's have some of the best times you could have watching football because it means everything. But also, yeah. you get to see some great stuff. Yeah, there's nothing like the emotion of a football game, yeah. whether it's the highs or the lows. You exactly, you, you actually enjoy those moments because they, you you as a fan, you want to see if it defines your team and helps your team get stronger or weaker. But regardless. You always support that club, no matter yeah. what. You choose your club and you stick to your club, and it feels like family. That and all, but also, like, we can't, like, we've just had a period where we didn't have it, and there was lots of other stuff going on, but God, it was miserable, wasn't it? it literally, <laughs> miserable. And it's not, it's not what it's shocking. And it's not what it should be now because we're not all on the grounds and all of that's not there. But it's still it's better than it was. Yeah. And there was people who were determined to say you've got to pause football till this is dealt with. That could have been eighteen months. What a soul sap in eighteen months that is. We're lucky to have football back in its current form for some people. Where football is in our lives, this theatre, and God knows when they're going to be able to get back into theatres and do that. And you know, I really feel for for that industry, but also the people who love theatre. Mm. The, the knock on effect of that are so deep. We've got this. It isn't perfect. We should enjoy it. And when it gets back to being perfect, listen. You know, as I say, maybe I'm maybe I'm getting old and I'm getting soft. But I just having you know, having gone around and, and done this and said, well, this is what does what this is one of the things that for some people it makes it a joy to be alive. So let's have as much of it as we can. Um. Okay, so now looking at, because I feel like the gap between you and other teams is quite big right now, especially in terms of first starting eleven. I think your team has the best starting eleven in the Premier League. Um, what, what do you think other clubs, in a more vague way, what do you think other clubs, um, let's say, let's say Chelsea, because they've already spent City and United, because North London's not really looking too great right now. Relax, man. Um, <laughs> um, what do you think? those three clubs would need to do to just maybe push Liverpool a bit more to see if there's a more of a title challenge next season? I think, I think the first thing is genuinely, and I think United have been doing it since the turn of the year, to be honest with you, 
you don't play City, Chelsea, Man United, Liverpool every week. You actually only only play those teams. You know, you play the, you, those those what those games specifically there that I've just said involved in all of those those sides. That's that's eight games a season. Yeah. The other thirty, that's where I think everyone. I think that's what Guardiola's changed. There's 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 no let up. There's no decent away right. point. At I'm trying to give a good a good comparison. Like an away point at Burnley, no. That's not a good point. That's too dropped. And I think that Ferguson took us a big step in that direction. Uh, Mourinho took us a big step in that direction. But I think Guardiola's finished it. I think I think now you genuinely you need to be you, you know you need to almost be looking at whatever whatever the bottom forty. Like for instance, it's probably a good point at Molyneux, just mm. because Molyneux is a specific problem. Oh, but yeah. apart but apart from that. You know, I don't even know if it's. A, I don't even know if come the end of this season, you'd look at a point at King at the King Power, and say it's a good point anymore. You know, the, the wobbly at the minute, Leicester. So I think you've got that. I think for Liverpool, there is something a little bit different about Goodison Park with Everton. But I think for those other sides, like United, Chelsea, City, should all be going to Everton and thinking we've got to get three points today. I think for Liverpool, it'll always have the Mercy side. Derby connotation, but I think for those other sides, and that's the difference. Everton could finish seventh. In any given season, Everton can finish seventh and appoint at their place isn't enough. So before you even talk about sort of adding players or anything like that, I think that's got to be the mindset. And I think that United have adopted that mindset since the turn of the year. What was really impressive, I thought, about United at Brighton last night was the graft for the first 50 minutes. I thought they worked really hard. And yeah. Brighton wanted to work hard. And I think Brighton thought, we might outwork these. And I think up until Christmas... United were really difficult to beat in games against the other top six, but they were had a really soft underbelly in games against the bottom fourteen, and that underbelly looks to me like it's gone. And I, you know, I wonder if that's a little bit of a Liverpool thing in that if there's a team that's getting a hundred points, works this hard every game, there's no excuse for anyone else not to. There's just no excuse. You've got to work as hard. They're where they are because they work this hard in every match. And they work this hard in pre-season. They work this hard in training. And then they work this hard in the games. And I think that's what we might see. So I think that's the first thing, that ultimately there are no decent away points. And that's a mindset. And then on top of that, I think you're just looking at people adding sensibly. I think City, it's a bigger job than... Like, I, if I was running City, I'd be desperate for Guardiola to commit for three seasons. And the reason why is because I actually think, like... What you do at centre half? You've got Laporte, who's got a bit of an injury issue now, where he might be a bit injury prone. Uh, you'll have the sports science on that, but you know you've got Fernandinho, who's thirty-four. You've got Otamendi, who's thirty-one, who the manager's never liked anyway, and you've got John Stones, who hasn't worked. If you need to buy three centre backs, which to me that says you do, you need to buy three centre backs. At least two of them have got to be really good. You could do with no one. You're going to have the, the same manager working with them for three years because what he wants from centre halves could be very different. So I think they need to address that city. I think apart from that loads of the infrastructures in place at City for them to just go and whack another 100-point season out and, and that's worth bearing in mind. And then, you know, Chelsea, I think, you know, I'm looking at Chelsea and United and I think both of them are capable of breaking 80 points next season and it might be that you add well one or two and you're capable of breaking 90 and then we're all back to having the conversation as happened before. That's where you've got to get to and, you know, Liverpool and City can do it. That's where you've got to get to and I think that, I think Chelsea and United both can do that I think they've got a minor issue, which is that if it doesn't go well with the managers they've got, there'll be a few internal inquiries quite quickly. And I think that that makes it hard. You know, it doesn't take much. I think next season it won't take much for there to be a bit of pressure on Lampard after having spent the money. And this next season, the same, it'll always be there for Solskjaer until he wins something significant with that Man United side. He'll, he'll always come under that pressure. Whereas Klopp and Guardiola are able to go, well, we're Klopp and Guardiola. Yeah, we're not having a good year, but I'm Jurgen Klopp, mate, if you've seen mm. what I've done. And that, mm, yeah. that I think, helps. Um, 
because the other thing I think that's going to put pressure on City and sorry, on United and Chelsea. I think they can both break 80 points, but there are a couple of injuries or a bit of bad luck away from slipping below 70 still. Uh, yeah. The flip side of that is that Wolves and Leicester can both, both break 70. Um, Tottenham, you'd think next season, they'll be able to break 70, and that's where the pressure will come on. So it's, I think it's going to be hard for United and Chelsea because they want to be looking upwards, but it doesn't take much to suddenly be back looking over your shoulder. And the best thing that both of them could have, and it's the best thing for everyone, would be, you know, eight wins out of the first 10, nine wins out of the first 10, and just take all the doubt from behind out of your mind. Get that buffer, even if you're still not ahead of Liverpool or City, even if they win 10 out of 10, both of them. You know, even if that's happened, you've still you've got this sort of, we haven't got to worry about what's behind us, because that's what changed for Liverpool in 1819. We scraped into the top four the year we also got to the final, in that we felt, well, we more fell over the line. We didn't scrape, but we fell over the line because we had the European games and it was taking it out of us. We followed yeah. the, the following season so started the following season so well. We got that late equaliser at Stamford Bridge. We kicked on a bit and we just got ourselves into this situation where you were no longer worrying about top four. It was kind of keep pace with City. And that's what I think Chelsea and United need to get to as soon as possible. Don't think about top four. Can you keep pace with Liverpool and City? And then top four will just happen because if you keep pace with Liverpool and City, you'll finish in the top four. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go back. You were saying previously about personalities. Let's talk about your captain, Jordan Henderson, because before the past three seasons, he was often the guy that people just ridiculed mercilessly as well. Because no, he, he, I can't say he's the most technically gifted, but what would you say he brings to, to that Liverpool side, which just keeps him, seems to be focused and, and determined to keep, keep ticking over? Um, I think he's a genuine on-pitch and in-dressing room leader in a way that I think gets missed when you... A lot of this and a lot of the same stuff with Klopp, one of the things that I quite I think needs to sort of be reassessed in a strange way is what we think leadership is in a, in a, in a, in a football sense and maybe even in a wider sense. I think there's still old tropes of exceptionally sort of masculine mm. bullying style leadership. Now, both Klopp and uh, Henderson are not shy about shouting at people. I mean, it's been horrendous at times for whoever's playing right back when they've got uh, when they've got Van Dijk and Henderson screaming at them during matches about the fact that they want them five yards higher. Uh, they're not shy about letting you know I sit just above and there's times where, especially if Joe Gomez is playing right back, I feel like saying, lads, get off his back, he's doing his best. Um, <laughs> but... But I think so. I think that it's important that that's the case. But I think there's, you know, dressing rooms aren't what they were 10, 15 years ago, let alone 30 years ago. And a lot of the way in which sort of established punditry, what they've grown up with, they've sort of missed that a tiny little bit, I think. And I think that what, what Henderson's done is is be responsible for it with, in conjunction with Klopp and in conjunction with Milner for a culture of, of excellence. Like the expectation is that you will be excellent at everything you do at all stages. Everything you do, you're gonna you're gonna show a level of excellence. We're gonna do everything we can to protect you, to help you, to, to to perpetuate that culture. But you're gonna show excellence at all times. And in terms of on the pitch, Henderson's long being a little bit underrated, and part of the reason why is he doesn't care what he looks like and he doesn't care about his stats. He one of the there's a certain ball Henderson plays that looks ugly as anything, and it's almost like a rugby union up and under. And he'll play it three, <laughs> he'll play it three or four times a game, and you think, let's be clear about this, he plays it that often. Like Mane gets on the end of it at Norwich. Uh, he arcs in, uses his body brilliantly, puts it in the back of the net. And it's an ugly-looking pass from Henderson. It looks like he's just put it there for no reason and managed made something of it. Whereas the truth is, it's a ball Liverpool play four or five times a game, especially through Henderson. It's mm. fair to say if Jurgen Klopp didn't like him doing it, he wouldn't be doing it now. He wouldn't still be doing it. At some point, that would have been addressed. Klopp likes him doing it. And there's something that I think Henderson does and has done, which is that he's able to, at times, 
I think one of his few genuine weaknesses is that he can't go the other way. But there are times where he's just brilliant at simply saying to this Liverpool side, we play twice as fast now, and I'll lead that. In everything we do, we now play twice as fast. We kill them now. This is our moment. Paris Saint-Germain at 18-19 uh, come to Anfield. And Liverpool, it's, it's, it's a bit of a quietish nil-nil. Liverpool, the better side. It's quite intense. It's a first group game. Liverpool go 1-0 up and Paris Saint-Germain do not get out until they've given away a death penalty to make it 2-0. And it's basically that Jordan Henderson doesn't let them. He says, and he gets everyone arranged. These are now just penned in. This crowd's up. We're all over them. They are not getting a moment's rest now until it's 2-0. It goes 2-0. We end up needing to they get it back to 2-0. Paris Saint-Germain because they're a really good side. But that's an example of what Henderson does. And what he's brilliant at is simply saying, these are now penned in. When we went to Tottenham this season, the away game back in January, there's the, 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 again, it looks scruffy. It's a really scruffy goal that ends up being scored. But it's because Liverpool are just not letting them out. They're just not allowed out now. And eventually we're going to put the ball in the back of the net. We're going to force them into errors. And I think there's a lot of what Henderson does where it, it he could look better, but he doesn't care because his job is to win football matches for Liverpool. He could have slightly better. He passes the ball perfectly well, but he does really high percentage passing at times, like high percentage risk of giving it away. But the point is, as I said before, is to force the opposition defence 15 yards back because they're now concerned about Mo Salah because Henderson's just played one over the top dead fast. Salah's nearly got in. He's not got in. It's been defended. But suddenly the centre-halves are looking at each other saying, we don't want that. Back, boys, back. Come in, we drop five yards. And I think that's what Henderson's absolutely brilliant at. And I think that that combined with his leadership is he's you know, he's he's had a terrific eighteen months, but I think he's been really important before then. And Klopp's never really flinched from the idea of him not being Liverpool captain. That's never really sort of come out anywhere. Yeah. And and everyone who works with Henderson, you know, there's a lot of people in football who keep picking him and keep giving him leadership roles. You know, and this goes you know, this goes all the way back to, to Kenny Dalglish when he gets him at Liverpool. Uh, but you've only got to look at the succession of England managers, a succession now of Liverpool managers. Uh, the way Steven Gerrard talks about him, the way his teammates talk about him, the way now he's talked about by other people in football. Sometimes we've got to maybe go, these people know what they're, know what they're talking about. And I yes. think there's a really good there's a really good comparison to a man who, who ended up with a leadership role in a very senior sense at Manchester United. For me the most underrated sign and that Alex Ferguson ever made was Michael Carrick. And he did it in the summer where he didn't do anyone else. And Carrick was... Of all the... People are desperate to talk now about Lampard, Gerrard and Scholes. It's a social media thing. Who was good? Oh, here's, here's a quote from Xavi about Scholes and here's this and here's that. <laughs> yeah. No one ever mentions Carrick. And if you want to talk about what would have helped that England team, you can actually make a pretty strong argument. The best thing that England team could have done would have been to stop even thinking about Skulls, Lampard, or even Gerrard, and instead say, right, Michael Carrick's first name on the team sheet because he'll make whoever else we pick play better. And that's what Jordan Henderson does. Whoever else we pick plays better if Jordan Henderson plays. I knew, I knew I'd like you. Gerrard or Henderson? Oh, I mean, as a footballer, it's Gerrard. Obviously, it's Gerrard. I mean, Gerrard, he could be the greatest player ever to play for Liverpool. I don't think he is, but he's, he's certainly in that top five conversation. Um, and he, he showed as he grew that he was a remarkable captain. But I think part of, you know, in many ways, Henderson may well prove to have been a better captain than Gerrard, not least because he doesn't have Gerrard's sheer, staggering, mind-boggling ability. So he can't fall back on that. He's got to fall back on other things. He's got to work mm. other things out in a footy match. You know, Jordan Henderson is not going to score a 90-second minute equaliser in an FA Cup final when he's just had cramp. That's not what he's going to do. 
Yeah. But but what he might have done was manage the game a little bit better, get his teammates through it, and somebody else might have scored that equaliser in the 70th minute, and then Liverpool might have made it four three in the uh, in the 80th minute. Whereas Stephen just knows, listen, if it comes to it, I'll just lad up one in from 35 yards because I'm that good. Uh, Henderson doesn't have that luxury, you know. So as a footballer, Gerard's Gerard's better, but I think that so many of the qualities Henderson's shown, and that we've got to also find out about a little bit behind the scenes through the pandemic, you know. And I think in general. Maguire falls into that category, not just talking about English footballers, but Rashford's in there as well. And I'm not just talking about the England lads and saying all oh, the England lads are good. I think in general, we've got a really, one of the things the pandemic's shown us, uh, but we should have maybe had our eyes open to before, is we've got a generation of footballers who are really compassionate, really given, really aware of how fortunate they are. And they're led by people like Henderson, like Rashford, like Maguire. You know, you can you can go on and you can look right the way down the list of, of of impressive footballers who come across as genuinely impressive people right the way through the division at the minute. And I think that, you know, I think that that's, that again is something to be pleased about. Um, okay, so this is one more question I wanted to ask you. Uh, the ranking of teams in terms of like uh, best Premier League teams that we've seen, so just in the Premier League era. Forget yeah. about you know the rest. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my criteria, my criteria is because I know the Premier League is hard to win, but it's also hard to defend. Yeah. So, and only three teams have done that. City, Chelsea, and United have done that. And only one's um, been invincible, by the way. Just saying. And invincible, too. Yeah. I'll throw that in there. It's coming. No worries. It's coming. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they went, they went on beating the whole season. Something that's ridiculed for, I, I don't know, whatever reason, but, you know, football fans of today. Um, where would you rank this Liverpool side? Me, me personally, right now, just because they've won the league and I don't know how many points they're going to get, but regardless of that, I will put them in my top 10, certified. Where would you rank this Liverpool side um, in terms of Premier winner? I think the top three, and the reason why, I take your point on defending it, but they got 97 points last season. Mm. They didn't get 70 points last season. They got 97 points last season, and it's the same group of players. They're going to put together, averaged across two seasons, a points total that's in advance of of, of City average 98. Sorry, City average 99 across two seasons. Um, Liverpool are going to end up, I think, averaging in advance of 100, maybe even 102 across two seasons. And I take your point about winning it, but it isn't as though even when the pressure was on across the last two and a half months, Liverpool dropped any points to Manchester City. It wasn't actually, ironically, it was simultaneously possibly the best and worst title race ever, 18-19, in that no one actually managed to to put sufficient pressure on either side, that they dropped points. But the flip side was that they showed so much quality and they kept winning. So I think that that's, you know, that's a marker point. And I think also what you do in Europe, I think you can say it's a Premier League question, but I think to have achieved genuine European excellence whilst putting those points totals on the boards that Liverpool have is significant because it isn't just therefore we went out of Europe at the group stages so we were able to throw all of our energies into this other thing or we were never in Europe in the first place, which is one of the reasons why the 13-14 Liverpool side can win 13 or 14 consecutive games is because or 11 consecutive games, however many it was, because they didn't have anything in the breaks. They were out the Cups and they were out of Europe. So you had one game a week, you focused in on it. So I think all of that as a knock-on effect. For me, for me, the greatest Manchester United side ever and therefore, by extension of the Premier League era, is the one that plays between 06 and 09. I think it's the greatest Manchester United side. And I think there's something about that side. I think there's something else, though, which is what I said before about excellence and pushing other people on. Liverpool get 86 points, 08, 09, and United get 90. And there was a real feeling that United were at the limit. And I just sort of think that if that side needs to get 97, it would have got 97 in hindsight and haven't seen this Liverpool team now. I think that that United side would have been that good. And for me, that's the one. It wins, it wins a, it, 
it wins the league uh, 06 07 it does the league champions league double 07 08 um it's a really weird game against portsmouth away from actually realistically uh, taking a getting a getting a treble and it wins the league uh, 08 09 up against a, a very good liverpool side who push it all the way and it gets to another champions league final uh, when it gets beaten by, a, by by an excellent barcelona team and I think that if you want to talk about the Premier League era, then I think there's a really strong argument that that is the strongest team over a sustained period. I think if Liverpool retain the title and go deep into Europe again, um, then they are its its match. I think if Liverpool yeah. if Liverpool get another points total, let's say we get 101 points and City get 103, I think us and that City side are its match over a sustained period. Um, I think that's now sort of where you are. That it, it, it's that away from being able to talk about about that level of greatness, and that's why I would put them top three. It's two Champions League finals in two in three years. It's two points finishes of ninety seven points on what I think will be over one hundred points across two seasons. Um, it's it's a remarkable achievement, and if that goes into one more season, let's say we get another don't don't even win it, but another Champions League final and another one hundred points plus finish or ninety points plus finish. I think you are having to say that this could well be the, the greatest side that you've ever seen uh, play Premier League football. Um, and, you know, and that's all right, by the way, because at some point somebody will do it better. Uh, you know, it'll, at some point it'll come, but it's that, that's, 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 that's the candidacy of where they are. And that also is to, you know, pay tribute to that United side. And I actually think there's a lot of similarities between that United side and this Liverpool side and that everybody constantly said, God, wouldn't they be good if they bought a midfielder? Um, everybody... Yeah. Everybody didn't like the shape. Uh, there was literally the year before that side established itself. Manchester United supporters chanting four four two with the manager. Um, yes. You know, everyone said, well, "What if they get some goals from midfield?" Well, imagine how good Roy Keane would be in this side. What you mean, mm. the side that's won three titles and got to two Champions League finals <laughs> and won one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They come on leaps and bounds, wouldn't they, lads? Um, and I think that that's you know, you look at the use of those midfielders. If you actually go back and look at the numbers, it's really interesting as to how you know United had six or seven central midfielders who people would categorise as pretty good. They had two that they used pretty consistently and a lot of other players just came in and out. And I think you can see the same thing in terms of Liverpool's appearance. But it had a front three in Rooney, Ronaldo and Tevez who were all capable of 20-goal seasons. And again, you can see that as a, as a parallel. And they had a really strong centre-half partnership and a very calm goalkeeper. And the centre-half partnership was brilliant at defending 1v1. You know, play two on two against Vidic and Ferdinand, all the best. Play two v two v two versus Van Dijk and Gomez, all the best. I think that there's a lot of parallels between these football teams. There's always a lot of parallels between great sides, but I think that's a really interesting one, and I do wonder whether or not it's something Klopp looked at. If if that's your top two, what's your third uh, third team? It's Mourinho's Chelsea that just immediately precedes that United side. The, right. you, I mean, genuinely, the, the Mourinho's Chelsea side of of oh five oh six could be. You know, I think that they're in. If you want to talk about a half season, they were played twenty. Uh, tw- sorry, played twenty two, one twenty, drawn one, lost one. Ridiculous. Liverpool, <laughs> ridiculous, Liverpool, yeah. Liverpool this season were played twenty two, one twenty one, drawn one, lost none. Yeah. You know, in terms of if you want to talk about how to sweep a title away, but there was no pressure on that Chelsea side. They'd won the league the year before. They didn't have the spectre of a Manchester City that could come and take it from them. So they actually ebb away. And I think part of why they ebb away going into the following season is because there's no pressure on them. And that's why pressure matters. That's why greatness matters. That's why having to retain and being made to work for it matters. And so I think that that's what, part of what hurts that Chelsea team is it, lose, it becomes a bit flabby. 
second half of that following of that, of that season because you know they lose an FA Cup semi-final to us they should never have lost really uh, Liverpool that season finished second to them or second or third to them in the end and get a good points total but they were still well better than us but we on the day you know we're more up for it they don't kick on in Europe in a meaningful way but they've had that start so the, the whole second half of that season for Chelsea it just ebbs away but they were unbelievable it was an unbelievable side. And then there's obviously the Arsenal side that goes the full season unbeaten, which is a, obviously a truly great team as well, full of full of great personality and unbelievable quality and a brilliant footballer in Henri. So they're certainly the four teams that define that. And I still think that the best team I've seen play Premier League football for the sustained period is City of 17-18, where what they did was unbelievable. You know, you can make an argument for all of these sides to a degree, but that's sort of, that's where if you want longevity to come in as well, the City side are playing for it next season. City can win a Champions League this year and then they could win the Premier League back again next year. We're having this conversation and me and you are having to hold out. There's a City there's a city supporter in the other corner of this screen going, lads, it's us. And we're having to go, yeah, you might be right, you know. <laughs> I think uh, we should end it on that note. Uh, thank you for joining us. Where can they find you? Social stuff like that. Oh, the Anfield Raps uh, at the Anfield Rap. Loads and loads of stuff on that. Loads of, if you support Liverpool, loads of stuff around winning the league, uh, both on social. So just the Anfield Rap at the Anfield Rap. And the website is theanfieldrap.com. There's an app on Google and Apple, and you get free tokens if you want to have a little look at some stuff. And my personal uh, Twitter is at Knox underscore Harrington. Uh, that's, uh, that's me on Twitter. I'm not at all active on Facebook. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that that platform is the biggest company in the world. Like it's almost not, be, it's become a moral affront, to be quite honest. Mm honest with you um it's downright unusable um and i'm on instagram but i keep it for for private things because you've got to have some got to protect the small spaces certainly if you're not a super fan (laughs) (laughs) oh where can they find us uh they can find us on well now on youtube uh free in the field uh spotify of course soundcloud and apple Podcasts. uh neil thank you so much for joining us thank you um, love the depth. Uh, I, I try my best not to have too many Liverpool fans on this, but um, you guys, you guys deserve all the credit to be honest. And um, now this is on camera, so my friends can beat me alone. I've admitted it. Now, go and find, go and find Sir Alex Ferguson and let him admit it for you. All right. <laughs> this has been another episode of the Premier Football Podcast. Good night.